do not bring up promotion when your boss is sharing your backwards looking performance review and your current pay raise or not raise and bonus. Separate it from the compensation discussion. Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today you are in for a real treat because I'm in for a real treat. And that, of course, is how we evaluate all podcasts at least in the Compliance Podcast Network, I have Amy Bernard Vaughn. Amy is well-known in the compliance profession. She is a dear friend, and I would say Amy's written a book, and this has been the best summer for compliance books, and uh, Amy's book slots right in there. So, Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. So we're here to talk about the PI Guidebook. We're going to link to it in the show notes and some other materials that Amy has put together for us. Let me just start with, for those who may not know you and your professional background, Amy, could you tell us a little bit about your professional background, what you're up to today? And then the big question, why did you write this book? Happy to, Tom. So I spent about 20 years working in Fortune Global 50 orgs, worked my way up, from, you know, grunt stuff to senior executive roles, such as chief compliance officer, chief administrative officer, and I've also been a human resource officer. So I have a pretty unique perspective from the C-suite, having owned most of the company at some point, with perhaps the exception of, of finance and sales. And I found that in the C-suite to be a revered leader and successfully drive business strategy is to build healthy workplace cultures, which I think is going to ring true with a lot of our fabulous risk colleagues who probably listen to your podcast regularly. And in leadership roles, I always hired an executive coach to support my work. Whenever I took on a big role, like built three compliance programs from scratch under major change management challenges, both at McKesson and at Allianz and subsidiaries. And I know that having a coach gave me exponential benefits. And so it was something I thought about that I do maybe when I was older, you know, but I wasn't really sure. And then this opportunity came up for me to go back to grad school. And so I did. I love school. I am a lawyer by training. I forgot to mention that. Went to Georgetown, practiced employment litigation, which wound up being a wonderful foundation for HR, which I went into for about 11 years. And then I moved into ethics and compliance and brought that employment litigation and HR and incentives and all that with me, you know, leadership development. And so now I bring all that to my coaching with my clients. And I just love working with smart, hardworking, successful people to help remove any obstacles, get unstuck, remove any dysfunction that's happening for them. And I particularly have a passion because of my background for roles that are what I call gatekeeping roles, which would be anyone who's not bringing in profit, and who often has to say no or really has to rely on influence and stakeholder relationships to get what they need to get done for the good of the company, society, and communities at large. And you and I have done quite a number of podcasts and our wonderful top five of corporations that don't do so well or boards that don't govern so well, right? So this all brings it together for me. So I love coaching amazing chief chief compliance officers, chief risk officers, data privacy, audit, you name it. I I love those roles because I feel like 
we're always under-resourced and we've got to get really good at influence to get the headcount we need, to get the resources we need, to get the board to hear us. So that's my passion. So Amy, you are the creator of the Promotability Index, Leadership Self-Assessment, and now you've launched the PI Guidebook to go with it. What is it? Who should use it? And more importantly, how does this help build what I'm going to call your passion, which is healthy workplace cultures? Well, I believe in radical self-reliance in terms of your career. If you're lucky, you have a sponsor. If you're lucky, you have a mentor, but that doesn't always happen. So you really need to focus on owning your career and what you control. One of my favorite sayings is you rent your job. You don't own it. And if you think of your job that way, you will think of your responsibility around your own career development very differently than if you think it's someone else's responsibility. And so this book was born and the assessment out of everything I learned around who got promoted and why, all the way up to the C-suite and to corporate boards. And I divided it into a framework of five key elements, the first being self-awareness, the second being external awareness, the third being strategic thinking, fourth, thought leadership, and fifth, executive presence. And if you nail those five things, then you have a very good shot at never becoming expendable, as Forbes just wrote about my book in an article. They called it a SWOT analysis for your career. And that was essentially what it is. I've gotten some interesting questions for people. I did a seminar for Harvard Institute of Coaching last week. A lot of coaches are using this in their work now. And individual contributors have sometimes questioned whether they see themselves in my book. And I've said, look, the word promotability should be read broadly. Yes, it literally means if you want to be on a path to promotion to the C-suite or a corporate board seat. And it also means if you do these things, you're also not going to be expendable. Not everyone wants to manage people. Not everyone should manage people. (laughs) We've probably all had a few of those managers. You know, managing people is a huge burden and responsibility and privilege, and it's not for everyone. So if there's anyone out there who's wondering, you know, this isn't for me, like, I just want to be the best at what I do in my niche, whether it's data privacy or anti-money laundering or whatever it is, we need you. It's not intended to exclude you. You do these things, you're going to keep your career tight and you can be the best in that role and you'll always be needed. Amy, my daughter graduated from college in June and just started her first job and, and she's looked to me for some guidance in the corporate world. Could this book be used by literally the 30-day newbie to start the process of their own self-assessment and give them some general guides that literally a, a new lawyer in the legal department, compliance practitioner, HR professional, or any other person going into the corporate world can use in addition to those at a more senior level? Great question. The answer is yes, and some of it will be very far in the future for them. This book is used by people in their 70s who just are growth learner mindsets. You know, I have clients that are still never plan to retire and they find it helpful. So what I would say to your daughter is you might want to have her read it and then help her pick out, look, these are the baby steps that you want to start because it was written for Fortune 500 professionals, although I have had people in nonprofits and in government and solopreneurs who have told me it's still helpful to them in understanding their clients' perspective and how companies work and how organizations work. I just taught at Fletcher and at the Tisch Center at Tufts University, actually, recent graduates. I guess lecture at Stanford and Haas, too. And so they kind of find it mind-blowing. I think the best, the best thing about young people reading it is 
I did this intentionally is I wish I had known some of this stuff before I started, Tom. Did I make so many mistakes? I mean, I wish I knew certain perceptions and certain things I would do could really nail me later on. And they did, you know, and, and so my hope in my whole life is to remove pain and to share learnings, right? That's what we do as parents. We really want our kids to have it not easy, like they need to work for it and they need to build character. But, you know, wouldn't it be great if they didn't make some of our stupidest mistakes? <laughs> so this book, yes, I would say it, it does help them. And some of the reactions I've got, particularly to external awareness, like people who are really young tend to focus on the first of the five elements, which is their self. And I have two teenage daughters. So, and I have one that just started off at college and, you know, she read a lot of my manuscripts and stuff. And I wanted it to be useful to everyone. So that was pretty fun. But I think the biggest mind blower to young people starting out and the biggest advice, and I've written about this in some of my columns is we raise our kids in college to compete. They're all competing for the A, for the valedictorian, for the football quarterback, like whatever it is, right? And then suddenly we throw them, potentially a lot of them in a corporate environment where they're also still competing for a very long time until they make it to a certain point, maybe director level, maybe senior director level. And at that point, it is so critical for them to pivot or hopefully not to need to do a huge pivot because hopefully they've already figured this out. These people that they used to compete with are going to hopefully be their colleagues, their stakeholders. They could be their boss. They could be working for them. They could leave the company and work at the number one startup in Silicon Valley that your kid wishes they could call and hadn't not done that thing to them socially five years before where they'll never be able to make that phone call. The thing you realize as you get older, you get wiser, hopefully, right? And that you realize how small the world is and how people you never might have expected circle back in your life and how important networking is to your relationships and that the people that you used to compete with, you've got to work with them in order to continue to learn, continue to get great opportunities and to be seen as a team player. Because once you get to the C-suite, your technical specialty matters less and less. You're expected to know that. Like that's a ticket to the game. And again, I wrote about this recently in an HBR article. At a certain point, that no longer matters. And what matters is, do you play nice with others? How do they feel about you? Do they wanna go have a beer with you after work? Do they trust you? Do they want to hang with you? That's the important thing. So, Amy, you're in the process of launching 2Q21, the PI Guidebook. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So the fun thing, Tom, was I created the assessment, which is a free assessment. Anyone in the United States can get it by texting the word promote me, all one word, promote me, to 44222. And it'll show up on your phone or in your inbox right away. It's 82 questions. I think it's fun and I hope it's inspirational. That's the feedback I get. And you'll get a free report downloaded into your inbox. Based on that, you can then create a self-development plan for yourself. And frankly, that's all I planned to do. I thought, you know, I'll be provocative. I want to be inspirational to people for people who maybe don't have support in their current companies. I didn't, I couldn't have predicted the pandemic, but this literally launched right before the pandemic. And the, the beautiful thing was people were feeling scared and lost and a lot of jobs were gone and it was a it is it continues to be a tough time for people but the promotability index helps put control back into people's hands around actions they can take that are in their own control to 
accelerate their career. The book came out of that. I had about 2,000 people take the assessment during the pandemic. And I did a lot of webinars and I did some corporate engagements for companies that wanted to, especially in a remote environment, wanted to demonstrate, we care about you. We want your career development to continue. We don't want to lose touch with you. We want to keep our corporate culture. And they said, we want more. Like, so what else do you have? And I said, what do you mean? What else do I have? Just do the assessment and then like work on the things that you didn't say you did well. And it's it's your perception. Talk to your boss. See if your boss agrees with you self because you want to validate your self-assessment to make it adequate and accurate. And then I wrote the book. I was like, okay, people are like, give us some exercises. Like I want to work on presentation skills. I want to work on gravitas. I want to work on influencing. So that's how the book was created. The book is not a typical book book. It is a guidebook. It has over 30 exercises that are aligned with the five key elements. And you pick the element you want to work on and you go in and read the exercises and take whichever one appeals to you. And if you really want to make it powerful, work on it with your boss, share it with your boss, give them your assessment, say, hey, did I, you know, would you have agreed with my self-assessment? What do you think I should be working on? And then you've got a brilliant action plan and just pick two or three. Don't try to do it all. Baby steps is the way to go fast or slow to go fast. Just pick two or three habits that aren't serving you anymore and work on them and ask for feedback. And I can't tell you what great results you're going to get. So, Amy, there are a number of assessments in the marketplace right now from 360 to personality tests. Why did you feel the need to create the PI? I am certified in a ton of assessments, uh, being a coach and in HR. And and I love them and I use them and I, I know when to use which tool for which engagement to help my clients. However, I did not find an assessment on the market that put control in individual people's hands around their own self-development or that gave companies an ability to help employees in a way that they would be directed. There's a lot of neuroscience around the fact that people don't like being told what to do. We know this if we have kids and or if we ever were a kid, uh, which I think most of us fall into one of those two categories. And so it's much more powerful if you can evoke people's self-inquiry and curiosity about their own development and they come to you and say, hey, I think this might be something that would help me. What do you think? And you start a dialogue. So the richness of my book, frankly, is that it will only be a success in my standpoint if it has created dialogue between people that matter to you and that have control over your career or your ability to advance and that it inspires you personally to do more. That's success to me. This is not a personality test. This is not a psychometric, psychological instrument. It is literally pretty down to earth and just intended to be like a choose your own adventure. This is your life. You decide where you want to go with it. You decide how you want to spend your time. Talk to your company, see if they agree and see if it's a good values match. I mean, this is also another good values match between you and your boss. Do they have a different impression of you? If they do and you didn't know that, that's extremely powerful. And that's happened for some of my clients. They'll go in and they'll say, hey, I assessed myself here. The boss will say, actually, I think you need to work on this instead. And then the employee knows that the boss had never told them that. But now they don't have the blind spot and they can actually work on it. It's extremely powerful to put that back in your own hands to realize how you're being perceived, because our self-perception 
is not always the way others perceive us. We judge ourselves by our intent and other people judge us by our impact on them. That is very important to know about getting promoted. We've all had some hard lessons along the way. And you talked about how you used coaching in executive positions that you were in to help you uh, not only perhaps enhance your promotability, but maybe getting through some of those hard times, difficult positions you found yourself in or situations where things just didn't quite mesh right. I was wondering if you could describe why you advocate that people going up the corporate ladder engage a coach and how can a coach really help someone get through those really tight corners? Well, for me, I had tremendous change management to do in pretty much every role that I entered. And I also was generally walking on to exceptionally challenging executive team roles. There's the gender piece. I was often the only woman in the room. And usually I was entering an intact team, which is HR speak for people who work together a hell of a long time. And so you're the odd person out. You're new and you better figure it out pretty quickly. And so I hired coaches who were phenomenal. I'm still friends with them and so grateful to them for this day for creating a psychologically safe space for me to absolutely just tell them anything, for them to help me break problems down into chunkable, bite-sized content where I didn't feel overwhelmed and I regained my mojo and my confidence and could move forward. That's the biggest thing that an external coach can do is that I have an airtight confidentiality clause with all of my companies because smart companies know that the only reason to hire an external coach for an executive is complete confidentiality, even though they are the ones paying you. So companies sponsor me to up-level their executives, and it works. You have to have the training and you have to have the expertise, and I think because uniquely have both coaching, training, and have had senior leadership roles in HR and elsewhere, I bring a variety of, of perspectives to the table. Amy, what's your number one tip for employees to start a conversation about a promotion with their manager? This is one of my favorite questions because I see so many people make mistakes in this area. My number one tip is do not bring up promotion when your boss is sharing your backwards looking performance review and your current pay raise or not raise and bonus. Separate it from the compensation discussion, for example. I think of being putting my HR hat on, compensation and promotion and, and performance evaluations are backward looking. You're getting rewarded for what already happened. You know, either your business unit did well or didn't, your personal performance was great, you led a hot project or you didn't, and or you're up for promotion or not. Those are very, very stressful conversations actually for most managers that I know. They were for me. I prepared heavily for them because I never had enough budget to go around. It's usually 3%. Often you inherit people who weren't at the pay rate that they should be at, and you've got to fix that. And that's kind of a one of the least popular HR conversations to have, but it's a reality. And so what I think it really works well is after that whole process is over, which for many companies who are on an, an annual year, fiscal year, Usually happens around February and March that they are ready to distribute bonuses because that's when we see a lot of attrition is after people get their bonus. 
they're ready to leave in April. I know that from doing executive recruitment. They always want to stay through the end of March, so very wisely. And stock uh, initiatives and you know RSUs and ESUs usually vest around then too. So I would pick a quiet time. You know your boss, but whenever they're chill and they want to chat, and hopefully there are times when they do, you pick that time. Give them a heads up. Just say, hey, at our next one-on-one, and usually summer can be a really good time, especially if they just had a little bit of time to catch up from an awesome vacation. You know, it's not fourth quarter push yet. It's before Labor Day. I like I like June, July, August. And I just say, hey, you know, at our next meeting, shoot them a quick email. I would love to talk to you about how I can do, you know, what I can do to get more responsibility. I'm so excited about X project I'm leading. Or if this project's winding down, I'd really love to work on Y project that I've heard about. Or I don't really know what your goals are right now. Things have been changing so fast with COVID. Could you please share those and let me know what's one thing I can do to help you achieve your goals? All that stuff is going to lead into what do you want to do in five years? Where do you see yourself three to five years? I mean, with the great resignation going on, I've just written about that. The number one thing companies have to focus on is talent retention. And what they should be doing is every smart manager, and I'm sure we've got some of them listening on this call, they should be having one-on-one sessions like this with their employees. How are their employees doing? How satisfied are they in their job? What kind of work are they doing? What do they like least about their job? They may still have to do it, but maybe you can buttress it with something really fun that they want to do. We've all got stuff we don't want to do in our jobs. I hate accounting. I hate sending out bills. I mean, there's always something we're not going to like, right? But if you can balance the job and you know what their personal struggles are, you know whether they have a health condition they're managing or their family and you want to keep professional boundaries, but some of this, there may need to be an accommodation discussion. And I would mention as well that there, I have a big concern about proximity bias in terms of the hybrid return to work. There is very well substantiated research that people who are in the office are more likely to get promoted, period because they have the face time. And we've always known that. That's why this is not new. That's why my remote execs who live in Singapore, but work for US-based companies, work their patooties off to get to the United States regularly to be visible, to be in person at their executive team meetings, because they know out of sight, out of mind, and Zoom only goes so far. And so the only thing I worry about is because the epidemic has had a disproportionate impact on women, childcare and schooling and all kinds of stuff. I worry about that, Tom, you know, with the promotions. It's a very long-winded answer to, I can't remember what question you asked, but those are some of the things on my mind. Amy, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I wanted to end by asking you, do you have a favorite leadership quote and why is it so special to you? I do. It's Peter Drucker, who I just think is one of the greatest management thinkers around, and everything he writes still seems fresh to me, even though he wrote it a while ago. But his quote um, is, you should not change yourself, but create yourself. And that means build around your strengths and remove your bad habits. And I love that because that's exactly what coaching is. And that's exactly what people who own their future and who are radically self-reliant on being willing to be vulnerable and courageous at looking themselves in the mirror and getting the feedback they need to get ahead. That's what they do. Maybe unfortunately, now we are at the end of the time for this episode, but this has been a great chat. 
I hope I can maybe call upon you again to come back and talk a little bit more about healthy workplace cultures or whatever yeah, else too. is on your mind or whatever else you've done. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, time. Tom. So yeah. This has been great. We're going to link to the book in the show notes as uh, well as provide mm-hmm. information on Amy and her consulting practice. So I encourage everyone to, uh, to take a look, certainly take the promotability index. That's a great resource. I did it. I won't reveal what happened, but there's a reason <laughs> I work for myself. So Amy, thanks again. And I greatly look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you so much, Tom, for inviting me. And thanks everyone for listening. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.